we'll all be wrong about something. It's library funk. Justin, I'm a scholar communications librarian. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Sadie. I am a, a system admin at a public library. My pronouns are she and they. I'm Jay. I'm an academic metadata librarian. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Carrie. I'm a health sciences librarian and my pronouns are she, her. And we have a guest. I'm Matthew No. I'm a health sciences collections librarian and my pronouns are he, him. Yeah. So you were recommended as a guest by a friend, friend of the pod. Another Matthew. Matthew. <laughs> we only have Matthews on this podcast now. So if you're a Matthew and you want to talk about library stuff, let us know. We are Legion. We are many. Uh, we are yeah. Matthew. <laughs> we're basically turning, well, yeah, we're basically turning into a noise show with our Matthews. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with that. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. So uh, we have two things for our opening segment today to warm up. So the first one, what's wrong in ALA? Propaganda strikes again. The American Library Association put out a, uh, a, a tweet that says to celebrate the release of the Paw Patrol movie on August 20th. We've teamed up with writer and crew to send some free bookmarks to libraries. I think writer's the cop. I don't know. The cop dog. Uh, and everyone just made fun of it. Uh, writer is the name of Guy Fieri's younger son. No. <laughs> I think oh. it, uh, writer Fieri predates the Paw Patrol, though. He's mm. the original writer. Also, the way you say propaganda, it just made me think of like the, the uwu, like Mr. Obama. Like, oh, <laughs> no. Subuwu. <laughs> I'll do anything, anything, then perish. <laughs> anyway. I can't believe that the ALA just, like, fell for it again. Like, did you not fell get enough for it? Well, you know. They fell right into it. Just, did you not see what we did to hardcover? <laughs> yeah, like, you didn't learn your lesson the first time. And, like, when I went and looked at the tweet, like, literally every comment was just no cops in libraries or a variation thereof. Like... Just don't even post it to Twitter if you've got to do it. Like you know your audience, really. They're not even good bookmarks. First they arrested Diary of a Wimpy Kid for wimpy crimes, and then now this. And we have a second one, which is more on topic. Uh, Carrie just found this. And, oh, that's what's wrong at ALA. There it is. I've got way too many drops now at this point. A Long Island... I so does my butt. 
because I it's because I have a medical condition. I poop a lot. And you also had Taco Bell recently. Knowing no, you. I didn't actually. Really? I did not recently have Taco Bell. Well, you should fix that. Well, too late. I had a burrito from another place tonight. <gasps> I hope it was good. It Taco was Bell great. betrayal. <laughs> yeah, I go to other restaurants like Arby's. Kelsey Breeze. The uh, a Long Island library accidentally gives out pornographic comic to families during free comic book day. The Farmingdale Public Library, and apparently, what happened is they get the comics from the publisher. Although I do, I do need to read this part. So the cover of the comic, "Tales of a Grown-Up Nothing," shows a teenage girl skateboarding, and makes no allusion to the pornographic material inside. The comic features pictures of people in various sexual positions, and one woman using a sex toy. I really enjoyed this part. It also features a picture of a man appearing to kill a police officer with the words at the Antifa Super Soldier Cookbook above it. Um, I want this comic book. (laughs) (laughs) And like, do they expect comic books to actually just say porn like on the cover? Because like, I own a couple of those and they they just look like normal comic books. Like, totally. Did did not a single librarian just thumb through any of those before you started handing them out? It just. This is not an issue of Fangoria. Like. (laughs) It's like you had one job. And you did it badly. I mean, usually not, honestly. You're probably underfunded at a, at a public library in Long Island. They're probably giving a lot of money to the cops over there. Um. So, so the books came from the distributor. And then what they do is they tell the distributor what they want, if they want to receive all ages, teen or mature. And then they get an assortment of titles based on the requested age ratings. So I don't know if that means that the publisher is saying, hey, you requested all ages, so you should have looked. I think they're trying to blame the library. But anyway, and the library had separated the titles with a giveaway bag uh, for children, teens, and and adults, so it should have been looked at. But then the very last line of the article is, the library will not participate in free comic book day again. Which aren't all comic books at the library free to begin with? Taxpayers, Jay. They're taxpayers. <laughs> this time we're taking freebies from the publishers instead of the taxpayers. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Finally, we got something back, and it was porn. <laughs> they'll, fi- Which, they'll like find someone to blame this on, though. I mean, to me, this is the ideal outcome. If we finally get something back from the publishers, make them give us porn. I see no issues here. Isn't that more useful than another pen or a mouse pad? Like, although I think Carrie would very much like uh, lens cloths. <laughs> That's the only thing of value to me in this world is like lens cloths. That's the only thing I want for free because I'm really particular about everything else in my life. Like, I don't want just any pen. Although, so, who was it? There was a German publisher that gave out Stabilos at ACRL one time, and that was incredible. <laughs> oh, that was... Anyway, but, like, I'll take any lens cloth. I will take any lens cloth. Like, it doesn't take anything for me to take your lens cloth. I took one with puppies on it. I hate puppies. But do you want a Paw Patrol one? Yeah, it was a Popaganda lens cloth. <laughs> this is a oh, Paw Patrol lens cloth. <laughs> For nerdy kids. 
Glass, Damn, you glasses? are really putting me up, like, you're really challenging my values. I mean, I really do hate Paw Patrol, because um, dogs are cops. Uh, Apparently. It's not just the Paw Patrol ones, though. It's, like, there's a Twitter thread somewhere <laughs> where, like, this person is telling people, like, show me a picture of your dog, and I'll tell you if they, like, would have tried to catch runaway slaves i wish the listeners at home could see all of our faces right now (laughs) or like if they would have barked (laughs) like and it was like overwhelmingly like yes i mean (laughs) oh god (laughs) uh i think there was a blog that was like uh it was something like a cab of the day and then the one post they had that went viral was them saying like the dog from paw patrol is a bastard <laughs> 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 they just show different cop fictions and be like is a bastard and uh yeah apparently this is like an insanely popular show so i mean if x-files is popular with adults X-Files fucking rules. It does rule, and so does Twin Peaks, and so does Hannibal, my three favorite shows, and they're all the FBI. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like the FBI is trying to destroy their own, so there's like an internal destruction element to all of those shows. Well, to two of the three, at least. I don't remember the FBI doing bad things in Twin Peaks. They did. Oh. Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. But yeah, no, at least with X-Files, it's like, is it aliens or is it the government? And it's both. Yeah. So. So, on to our main topic. Uh, Way to ruin it. Ruin what? That's not the point of the X-Files. <laughs> oh, you're talking about X-Files and I just tuned out. <laughs> I don't know anything about the X-Files. Well, you should fix that. It's great. I've tried. First of all, David Duchovny is hot. Second of I all, have a Jillian lesbian magazine. Anderson is hot yeah i have a lesbian magazine Third that has all, a centerfold the morley of man, david duchovny <laughs> morley man is hot no he's yes. the only one no everyone on that show is hot <laughs> matthew is losing it <laughs> is hot. i'm just picturing this is just a different version of a scene from parks and rec where everyone on games of throne can Games of Game of Thrones can get it, except in this case, it's the X Files. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can I talk about graphic medicine now? Yeah, no. can I ask about it? <laughs> no, we're gonna make Matthew like listen to us talk about the X Files <laughs> for an hour. Bitch, I might believe. <laughs> So I've actually got a lot of questions just kind of lined up based on the reading. You gave us uh, some really good stuff to read. And I want to say uh, it was great that this is the first time we've had a reading that was a comic, which was the Graphic Medicine Manifesto. So I kind of used that to, to put together some questions. But I wanted to hear from you. What is graphic medicine? So, I mean, you've got the <laughs> the the basic answer is the graphic medicine is, you know, anything that's comics and health mashed together uh, into one thing. More academic-y speak, it's the discourse, uh, or it's the intersection of the discourse of health with the medium of comics. <laughs> and yeah, it, it could be anything from, you know, an educational comic to a web comic to 
you know, published mainstream comics. Some of the superhero comics count too, if you really want to get down into it. Like Doctor Strange actually doing like brain surgery. Sure. And that's graphic medicine. <laughs> I you could make a case. Um, <laughs> uh, the death of Captain Marvel is a common one. Spoilers for anyone who hasn't read it. It's like 30 years old, so I don't feel bad. Um, like Marvel like dies of cancer, so it's a whole thing. But it's a pretty common example of uh, health and superhero stories. Hmm. But it's usually talking about things like memoirs and you know public health education comics. Yeah. Well, a big theme I saw in what I was reading through was that it's a way of doing narrative medicine, mm. which is like case studies, I guess. I don't know if there's other types of narrative medicine. I guess memoirs would count. Um, it's kind of narrative medicine varies. It can also like, so case studies are not necessarily like some graphic medicine is case studies, but like not all graphic medicine are case studies. Now I just want like a graphic novel of everything. Um, Oliver Sacks has ever written. Ooh. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be that, great. That yeah. would be fantastic. Yeah. But so, uh, uh, narrative medicine is a one is a uh, a touchy subject <laughs> because so you've got yeah, like it really is yeah, yeah you've got the institutionalized version of narrative medicine that basically Columbia like owns and holds onto, and it's kind of like looking at healthcare through the lens of storytelling. Like a, a kind of an a fictional English, like uh, field of English studies, kind of looking at at healthcare stories, and you're investigating what the patient is telling you, and using that narrative arc to better serve health. Sometimes it's case studies, sometimes it's not. <laughs> and the audience is other physicians. That so, can be part of the audience, and it's part of the target audience, but it also exists as a genre of literature, like Matthew was saying, right? Yeah, so you've you've got you've got narrative medicine like as a practical tool, like a tool set of things that you incorporate into the way you practice medicine. And then you have narrative medicine the genre, which is the the published stories of fiction or nonfiction and case studies and memoirs and all of that. And and some graphic medicine is narrative medicine, but not all. It, it I can't say it correctly either. It doesn't go both ways all of the time. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's some inconsistencies that doesn't quite catch at all either. Because there's like even some cases of graphic medicine that like devi they're they're complicated and deviate from like what would be acceptable for medicine and even for like for like fiction for like genre literature too i was wondering if uh well i have a question here i shouldn't go out of order so i don't forget anything i was reading about this is kind of relevant to what i think about a lot which is new forms of scholarship and then like tenure and promotion so is there sort of a, a larger group effort of getting graphic medicine recognized in, in tenure and promotion, or is it sort of just grassroots at this point? Is there like a Dora for, for this? I think grassroots is a good word for it. Like as a defined, so the term itself, graphic medicine is only 
14 years old, something like that. Ian Williams coined the term. Uh, he's a, a, a physician in the UK. He, he started graphicmedicine.org as like a blog during his, uh, his master's in uh, medical humanities. And then there was a, then a conference came out of it. And then people were, were using comics in like medical classrooms. Um, Michael Green is a big, like early adopter of comics in medical uh, classroom settings. And so he's published papers and everything, but this was all happening. He was already tenured when he started doing this. So it wasn't a like breakthrough thing. Now there are people, um, there are people in the field writing studies on using comics in medical education and with patient education, and they are publishing it in, in sometimes, you know, pretty big journals. And, you know, it's included in their tenure packets. And then there's this whole semi-related piece to graphic medicine where people are using comics as like an actual tool for understanding kind of in a Linda Berry kind of way, you know, like drawing as a method of meaning making and understanding and, and studying. And so there, that's kind of like an applied cartooning world. That's part, part of graphic medicine, but adjacent to, and people are using that in their, their tenure and promotion as well packets as in an attempt to anyway i don't know anyone who's actually formally been given tenure just because of their uh their cartooning work yet but i'm hoping it gets there in library world i don't know much you know i've never had a uh, tenure track library position we're staff here so it's all any of the academic work i do is actually you know just for fun <laughs> i will say that you know that i'm only in my second professional position and both of them have been faculty my first one wasn't eligible for tenure but i still had all the same expectations as tenure track faculty so that was fun but at both institutions um the discussion of like do creative does creative output count and especially at my first institution there was a book art studio and those faculty were also library faculty so kind of de facto um and so the librarians were starting to investigate more like what creative output could be like with library stuff and then i recently had a conversation of the same degree with my committee and whatnot people because i'm getting it so interested in digital humanities and digital scholarship like 10 years too late um, um and so i would definitely say that like you know two different institutions across the you know the country from one another are having these discussions about like yeah creative output is a form of scholarship because often it does involve research and expertise and, you know, people can, you know, it can influence the field in, in some way. So I'm hopefully, I'm hoping that a lot of academic libraries are starting to have the, how does this use your expertise and demonstrate it as opposed to just, did you publish in this journal that has, you know, whatever H factor that is made up? <laughs> I don't know what other people's experiences though. Yeah, and I wanted to ask, is there um, like an overlap with zines and creating like uh, alternate forms of, of narrative medicine that people are doing? Yes, <laughs> question mark. Um, awesome. The, the, the line between uh, the line between like the so pre pandemic, I was able to attend, you know, local comic cons, buy things for the collection you know, that could circulate and be part of the, you know, the research collection here um, directly from creators. And that line between, you know, is this a self-published 15 page mini comic or is it a Z? <laughs> like that line gets really messy and blurry right there for me. 
And, you know, these things, you know, they they have a role, there's a place for them. It's just when you start incorporating all of that stuff, zines into conversation, the the descriptive cataloging and the the circulation of them gets a lot more complicated. (laughs) But that's, you know, that is part of the the field. And it's it is often difficult enough to get comics to be taken seriously in medical settings. So going even further outside of that realm is a is a whole other extra step like i'm always having the why are comics relevant and why are we in you know this prestigious institution prestigious in air quotes uh for people who can't see me like why are comics relevant here and it's a it's a a constant battle yeah yeah we've talked about trying to do collection development with comics and just in general in the roadblocks that that people have but yeah i was just kind of curious because uh I've been reading. So one of the the things that was mentioned was graphic pathologies, which are illustrations of uh, illnesses and sort of the advantages that that has over, over narrative descriptions. And so I was thinking, I just read um, Nagata Kabi's My Alcoholic Escape from Reality. And so she was showing like going into alcoholism and then showed like what it was like to be in the hospital with pancreatitis. And, and she also talks about her mental health and like, so and she uses like the manga style to like, oh, I'm like whips, I'm like wisping away because it's very like expression, it has like a, an expression language to it, and so that's why I was thinking about zines. Is uh, I imagine there's a lot of people writing about like what it feels like to deal with depression or what it feels like to deal with chronic illness, or so that was why I was thinking about zines. Was I bet there's probably a lot of, but it, it just depends on who the audience is, really. I know that's popular um, with uh, Twine games actually like interactive text-based like especially on twine like there's like depression quest I, i'm pretty sure was on twine if i'm not mistaken I'm do a speed run of depression quest <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna put it on gamesdonequick.com <laughs> you mean my life <laughs> no it just gets drawn out because you spend 10 years trying to figure out which medicine works <laughs> mm-hmm. the audience piece of that is uh is interesting so like I never draw or, I mean, I do draw and write things, but I never do it for anyone but me to see or like, you know, my, my partner. Um, Occasionally I'll post silly things on social media, but like, you know, I have a chronic pain uh, condition and I will illustrate it out and try to draw what that, that feeling is like, because, you know, pain charts are effectively useless. (laughs) uh, And the, variations of kinds of ways pain can be are endless and sometimes words just don't do it and so writing or trying to illustrate it out can be really helpful and that can be really helpful you know for diagnosis purposes as well you know the different kinds can you know nerve pain it presents differently than blunt force trauma and so on and so having some sort of illustrative way of communicating that can be really powerful that would be a really interesting pain scale, like, you know, like versus like sharp versus like diffuse, kind of like picking out different ele- elements to like create a, like a picture of a particular person's pain. I don't know. It's just, that would be an interesting art and diagnostic thing, I think. Yeah. Like that, to me, that brings up a, a question of how much of graphic medicine, especially in like comics, how much of that is medical professionals doing it either as like actual, you know, as doctors or maybe like 
researchers who teach, I, 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 I know nothing about medicine, but I'm, I'm assuming some people in the medical profession don't actually do doctory things. But um, like how much of it is like people in that field versus people with health conditions uh, writing about it? And is there any overlap there that you've noticed? There's definitely both and, and there's often overlap. So like most of the published, easily purchasable comics in graphic medicine are um, written from the perspective of a patient or a caregiver. The majority of the things that you'll find created or written by physicians or nurses or public health practitioners and on and on and on in all the healthcare fields, those are usually more created for a specific study and then you never can find the actual comic again or drawn in the clinic and then it's gone forever. Though there, you know, there's, there's a long history of using comics for public health awareness and, you know, it predating, you know, most of the comic companies that exist now through the, the HIV crisis, through COVID, you know, MK Serwick, uh, she's a nurse and cartoonist, one of the like main figures in graphic medicine. Uh, she, she wrote um, Taking Turns. Uh, it's an oral history project of a an HIV AIDS unit in Chicago, and that she's been doing a lot of research on prevention comics in the 80s and 90s, and then comparing them to the kind of comics we've been seeing coming out of COVID, and what what differences there are and similarities, and how the two um, pandemics are actually are, are different and similar. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of comparative study work coming up, and if not there's a pitch for somebody to go do it if you haven't thought about it. Yeah, because I've definitely seen a lot of um, criticisms of various um, approaches to public health campaigns right now coming from people who either, you know, lived through um, or slash continue to live through the HIV AIDS um, epidemic or are public health professionals who specialize in in that so yeah i'd be interested to see um because yeah in the um episode with matthew the nonfiction comics i mentioned the um the one with death from sandman like teaching people how to use a condom and that definitely came out um as like a i I would imagine as like a an aids public health type of thing so i I would really i'd be interested to to see that because i know that was a a comparison that was kind of frowned upon early like i remember when um act up posted the face mask that said if i die dump my like dump my body on the steps of mar-a-lago or something and everyone was like how fucking dare you <laughs> but i've definitely seen just like from public health perspectives comparisons and, and what we might learn and do differently versus do the same and so yeah like the the illustrative aspect of that like even not just talking about it, but as part of campaigns itself. Um, like, you know, there's been little cartoons and and whatnot that like other countries have put out. Like, this is how you wash your hands or this is what vaccines do. So put in the lyrics to your favorite song to learn how to wash your hands. I did um, uh, This Corrosion by Sisters of Mercy because the chorus, the, the four hey now nows, is perfect 20 seconds <laughs> if people want to know. I lost it. I got too busy laughing about the, the hand-washing songs. <laughs> it's graphic medicine. It's musical medicine. 
aureole medicine. They made a ballet out of one of Oliver Sacks' case studies. Or an opera, too, I think. There's been a few. Such a J fact to know. It really is. I love Oliver Sacks. He was gay and um, rode a motorcycle and broke a squat record on Muscle Beach. (laughs) (laughs) He was called Dr. Squat in fucking rules. (laughs) I did not know any of those facts about him. I'm Rico definitely more interested. Read his autobiography. It's like the best thing in the entire world. He's like, yeah, I was Dr. Squad, a broker record. Also, let me tell you these like really nice little case studies and like how I'm like losing eyesight or something. I was like, Jesus, okay. There's supposed to be like an animated uh, documentary coming out about Oliver Sacks. <gasps> something uh... I backed on Kickstarter years ago and it's still like in progress. So hopefully it eventually happens. I love him. You That'd haven't be gotten so good. kicks kickbacked. Yes. No. <laughs> so I was reading about like mapping the use of comics and health education. And, and you mentioned the conference in, in London in 2010, which is kind of more recent than I thought. So when did you get involved in graphic medicine? Even more recent than that. Um, it seems like it's been forever. Um, but so I started working with graphic medicine my first semester in library school, which was in 2014. I accidentally stumbled across the website doing terrible first semester library and searching things for health sciences, but it was a happy accident and I've just been running with it since. And it started out just learning about the field. And then I started doing this, like, um, uh, I used to do a, a weekly, like, uh, blog kind of post where I was collecting all these links and tweets and everything about graphic medicine. I call it this week in graphic medicine and use like the stranger things font and everything. <laughs> uh, I had to stop doing that a couple of years ago. It was just unsustainable. Like the number of people involved in writing and publishing and discussing the field became too much for one person to keep up with doing that. But yeah, so that's when I got, I've been doing it for, seven years now more intensely for the last six yeah did you go to library school specifically thinking about health sciences so it was not the reason i applied um but i a it was funny so i got an internship in the medical library at the university of kentucky where i was going immediately because i uh (laughs) it was entirely because the intern who was leaving was a philosophy undergrad with me at UK. So he was like, hey, I, they were like, I'm leaving. So here, apply for this and I'll put in the good word for you. And so I got it was very lucky and fortuitous. And it just kind of UK has a health sciences track, like one of the few that actually still has a whole program around it. Um, so I was I had my foot in the door and so I just ran with it. Um, I, I don't think I've met anyone who like has a job and what they planned to get their job in when they went to library school. Oh yeah, I guess Jay did. <laughs> I forget that, yeah, we, we did go over career paths and Jay was like, no, I, I, I had it. I had it figured out. I also bounced around. I, I like That was my stable 20 hours a week throughout library school position. But then I also worked in the, in the archives and in cataloging and in like 10 hour positions here and there where I could, as long as I didn't go over 30 hours a week, I could take on these uh, extra 10 hours in places, um, trying to hit all the fields at once. Cause I went into library school without really any work experience. So it was do all the things I could in two years. 
Yeah. I mean, but that's the way to do it. I, I had the only experience I had was uh, volunteering in, in my old university's archives for, for a summer. And then, uh, and then uh, I finally landed a job in archives when I was in library school. And now I don't work in archives. But yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. It has a whole health sciences track. I've never heard of that. That's really neat. Yeah, because like a lot of places will have like a, um, um, like a, you want to be a school librarian. And so you also get like a certification at the same time. And I know at least two, if not more, have one where like you earn your JD at the same time or something. A where lot of, like, yeah, a lot of schools yeah. have joint programs. Like yeah. my, like uh, the program at UWM has like a joint music librarianship program. Yeah. Or did for a while anyway. And there's a few programs that have like the joint degree programs or specialty programs that are attractive for different kinds of um, books. Yeah, especially like with stuff like that where it's like you basically need um, a serious background in something um, that makes yeah, sense. I'm glad there's like a health sciences one. Yeah. I mean, now like we have a health informatics program at the school where I work and like some people will get those degrees, but like you can't go be a health sciences librarian with an informatics degree. Like you have right. to go do other stuff with that. Yeah. So that's a little different, I guess. But yeah, I mean like my program had a few, cl- like I think it had one or two classes in health sciences librarianship but like yeah i think i remember that yeah because i was in a class with someone who was really fixated on health librarianship and i was like oh not interested in that and then (laughs) look where i wound up Uh, (laughs) turns out it was really interesting to be fair i don't have the typical health sciences library job like i don't do a lot of pubmed searching my my whole thing is collection development and occasional outreach programs so like (laughs) yeah i do very little of that stuff Whereas I am very focused on uh, research and instruction assistance and a little collection development and outreach. Is your undergrad in like biology or health or anything? Did I miss that and forget it? No, I, I have a philosophy degree for undergrad, <laughs> so it's not really not related to health at all. Yeah, that's the beauty of <laughs> that's, health science. That's even less useless yeah. than mine is. <laughs> I'm kidding. I would lo- <laughs> actually love to have gone back and done philosophy. I managed restaurants in between undergrad and grad school, so that's what I used that degree for. (laughs) Just serving people. Hi, can we talk about Derrida? (laughs) There's a manga like that. Is uh, it about me? (laughs) No, it's it's called Bartender, but like uh, one of the guys, one of the bartenders. (laughs) J-Tender. I mean, my first job, I was a a food server. One of the dudes has a philosophy degree in the city, and so he's just like, (laughs) <laughs> he just talks about philosophy with people while he's serving, uh, while he's tending bar. That's fun. <laughs> having having worked in kitchens and in bars, that actually seems really natural to me. Yeah, especially if you're a bartender and having to talk with people. Yeah, yeah, you're you're paid to stand there and be receptive. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite radicalize people. <laughs> my favorite server at the brunch place that I frequent is like a poet. And, like, he and I just hang out and talk every, like, Saturday and Sunday mornings. Like, hey, Freddy, what's up? And he's like, oh, you know, just working on some some new chat books. Like, <laughs> chat books. So I was also going to ask, we, we've talked a little bit about, like, the utility of graphic medicine, patient education, 
patient like activism, I guess, like saying that, look, this is what I'm going through. What are some of like the, the actual like artistic merits of graphic medicine? Cause we talked about in nonfiction comics uh, with Matthew Murray, we talked about how some of these comics are really interesting, but they're not really like good comics. Are there any like graphic medicine comics that are out there like winning awards for their art style or, or for their, or do they, is there a separate category for, for graphic medicine awards? Oh, that is such a big question. <laughs> so a lot of graphic medicine suffers the same thing that graphic nonfiction in general does. You get a lot of stiff, formalized, you know, here's some text, here's some images. They don't necessarily always flow together. But on the other hand, you've got things like um, uh, Menopause, an anthology of comics about menopause, just won an Eisner Award for Best Anthology this year. So it kind of runs the gamut from boring, we just threw images in here in the hopes that people would read it kind of stuff to some really interesting, you know, award-winning comics. Uh, There's one, this is where the, the, the squishiness of the field gets really contentious um there's a comic that just came out called crude and it's about you know the oil industry devastating south america but it talks about the ill health effects and the environmental destruction and this all of that is like the social determinants of health issues are all clearly graphic medicine and so we kind of have to push the boundaries of what is formally medicine a lot but but it's a like beautifully illustrated, like watercolory kind of comic. And I think it tells the story in a more meaningful, artistic way than prose would have. And so there there are examples of that out there. And it and it's you know, you can take a spread from that comic and open it up and it's punch you just have to stare at it because it's like punching you in the face. And that's to, to to be violent about it, I guess. That's what I want these kind of you know, activists, let's tell you what's wrong with the world comics to do is to make me have to sit there and stare at it. And some of them do that really well. Yeah. Is there like an overlap between graphic medicine and then like, I guess in this instance, it might be like environmentalism or even, you know, crit- critiques of capitalism, you know, what sort of um, interdisciplinary stuff do you see in graphic medicine? So I'm always for pushing and opening it and expanding it because, you know, you know, to, for me, a critique of capitalism absolutely fits in graphic medicine because especially in the U.S., that's defining who has, you know, healthcare, not just access to it, but who actually can get treated and how they're going to be treated. We include, you know, um, comics about, you know, the civil, civil rights movement, I include March in our graphic medicine collection, just because you kind of need to know the history of this country and the way people are treated to understand how to be a good physician to those people. Like, how are you going to be in a room with somebody and not understand where they're coming from, but then expect them to trust you? Like, you have to build that background understanding. Like, so if you so if you go to very broad with it, you can wind up with graphic history being part of graphic medicine and and the lines get blurred and i try really hard not to set hard boundaries on this stuff if if someone comes up to me and says this batman comic <laughs> is relevant to graphic medicine i'm going to ask them okay tell me why and if i'm convinced that's that's fine with me like it's relevant you know i don't recommend using batman comics with your patients necessarily cuz they have they're notoriously awful with mental health, but you know that's useful as an interrogation tool too. 
You mean a comic book hero who, <laughs> who all the villains are like based off of various psychiatric disorders <laughs> isn't good for where, that kind of thing? Okay, where where do Paw Patrol comics fit into the graphic medicine canon? <laughs> I guess (laughs) are there Paw Patrol comics? There must be. Hypothetically speaking, but I'm almost positive there has to be. You're positive? I'm positive. (laughs) The saddest ham horn ever. (laughs) Tojo's gonna get a sad ham horn. I will accept Paw Patrol comics when you do a critique of them and tell me why they're terrible. <laughs> I figured the Batman comic could be like graphic medicine. It's like the issue where he's trying to figure out where the clitoris is. Wait, what? <laughs> so it's like sex ed. Because <laughs> Batman doesn't doesn't eat pussy. I was just about to say, is this going <laughs> back to the whole... is enraged. <laughs> Batman won't eat out. <laughs> yeah, I saw in the notes... Maybe I'm getting ahead of all of us here. But like in one of the things is like, how graphic is it? Does this include sex ed? You know, and then the the porn free comic book, like how much overlap is there in like pornographic, explicit graphic medicine, I guess. That'd be fun. I mean, Ojoy sex toy exists and is absolutely graphic medicine. Oh, I guess that is. (laughs) That would count. Yeah. We are of divided opinions on that comic in this on this, yeah, in this household. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> That's totally fair. Yeah, um, but I don't that, like tweet things. That... <laughs> it's very precious. But yeah, sometimes the graphics are graphic, uh, <laughs> and you know it's it's medicine, so of course it has to be to a degree. And would you say it's graphic wink medicine? <laughs> Never I regret putting the boing in there. <laughs> I, I, in all seriousness, I've had to have this conversation with public librarians who want to use graphic medicine because it's a, an immediate concern that we're talking about body parts and anatomy, and so they're going to have parent complaints and everything. And and my stance is always: look, teenagers need accurate sex education materials. If we have a comic that explains it to them accurately and makes them feel good about it, like put it in a collection and the parents' complaints be damned. But I'm also an academic librarian who's not getting yelled at by parents, so I don't have to deal with that stress. So <laughs> you might get yelled at by parents. Helicopter parents of college students. I was talking about this the other day. There are they are fucking weirdos. Also, you get people older than me being like, if you write young adult fiction with sex in it, you're a pedophile. And oh why God. do adults like YA that has sex in it? So don't, bring up don't worry. They're, they're, don't they're, bring that discourse in this coming. house. <laughs> if I have parents of medical students come and yell at me, that's a whole other level of helicoptering, and I'm just going to leave. Doogie <laughs> Hauser is real. He's a boy genius. Isn't that baby Neil Patrick Harris? I've never watched it. Yeah, he absolutely okay. was. And I did watch it. He had to break a lot of news about AIDS to people. Wait, Jesus what? Christ. Yeah. Would Dark Place count as graphic medicine? <laughs> uh, that's a TV show. <laughs> what if I made a comic of Dark Place? <laughs> yeah. 
I think most TV medicine is inaccurate. <laughs> to, to make mean it dark places okay. real. So like what about <laughs> fiction about medical concerns? Like a hospital fiction. Let's say like we have... raise anatomy of comics. No. Let's say I have a hospital procedural <laughs> serialized. Well, I mean, yeah, the Batman would be fake. Yeah. Or like a, well, a sports manga but it's doctors or something. I I was thinking I added that to the notes, the the kind of fiction question, because I was thinking about um, something that Matthew Murray brought up, where uh, they talked about, what was it, the Kurosawa Corpse Delivery Service? Oh, yes. And like how that kind of intersections like death and grief, which also seem to be very explored topics in graphic medicine. So like, like Matthew, you say, like, there's a broad, you, you have the broad interpretation like how how much fiction do you see incorporated into these collections and particularly like when you talk to public librarians how much of it is a is a mix in public libraries it typically sticks closer to the memoir like like that's the most common uh graphic medicine you see in publics that's most common that i see in academic libraries too but the fiction part is really interesting in the majority of the fictional graphic medicine I think it, that's in my collection is actually manga and rather than Western comics. Like, I mean, Blackjack was, a, it was, is a surgeon, like is a surgeon's comic and it kind of is this fictionalized Grey's Anatomy to a degree. And, and, and this is going on. I just recommended this to somebody. So it's on my brain. Like there's a kid's comic called Yuzu, the pet vet and vet medicine is graphic medicine and it's real adorable, but it, and that, that's fictional. And so like that counts. Yeah. The, um, the, the corpse delivery service thing that, that Sadie brought up, um, that reminded me cause that is, um, they're Buddhist. Um, they're doing like Buddhist rites. So I was wondering how much overlap, like how much representation of different religious, beliefs and maybe um you know air quotes like non-western medical practices beliefs um like are there graphic medicine about ayurveda for instance or traditional chinese medicine like how much of is there any sort of that kind of representation or just like a religious presence at all in it there's less than i wish there was I have a colleague who's trying to explore this stuff. Um, Aaron David Lewis, he's a, he's a comic scholar who like came up on religious comics and now is transitioning into graphic medicine and is, and is looking at the overlaps of this stuff. Um, But there's not as many as you would think Um, there is. um, I was trying to look it up. I can't, I can't do that and talk to you at the same time, but there is a, a a comic version of like a, um, a classic uh, Chinese medicine text it's it's one of those nonfiction comics. It's not super great at integrating the words and images, but it's okay. Anytime someone mentions religion in comics, though, my brain immediately goes to epileptic, and it's not great representation of stuff. It's by David B. And there's a lot of like mystic, like epilepsy as spirits kind of not well, great treatment also, in there. It's also not his perspective. It's not his perspective. It's her. <laughs> It's his perspective of his brother's experience. Oh. It, that, that comic raises a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautifully drawn. Um, so when you talk about the question of art, is like graphic medicine beautiful? Like the art style of it is really wonderful, but like 
the content and the voice of it is very problematic from like a disability perspective. Yeah. And with this question out there, it's worth making sure I get this, this, this thrown in there that, you know, in the world of English language, graphic medicine works, it suffers the exact same problems as the rest of publishing. It's primarily white. It's primarily middle-class. It's primarily, you know, uh, cisgendered, like all it's, it's got some problems and that that's part of the main, that's part of the reason I pushed so hard to be able to try to buy independent comics, which was a nightmare to get approval to in this in the library. But that's where a lot, there's a lot more interesting and diverse and varied stories being told by self-published works than we're getting in the mainstream published works. And so trying to make sure those are represented is, is a big challenge. As a, because this I think raises an interesting um, collection development question, especially if the works are fictional and not necessarily nonfiction. So they're not necessarily trying to be um, informational or educational. They're just telling a story. Because, like, with the ethics, because I'm, I tend to be someone I will, like, I'm not a, an intellectual freedom, like, purist diehard but when it comes to fiction i'm one of these people i'm I'm like do whatever kind of um and so from a collection development standpoint with fictional graphic medicine what are sort of your do you have standards for um like accuracy i guess of the health and the medicine within it or is it sort of that not a concern just because, you know, you have limited shelf space that changes things sometimes. This is where I have to give two answers because because of the institution I'm in and the uh, the breadth of what I'm able to purchase, at, at Countway, I purchase anything and everything because I'm, I am building it towards an eye towards the impossibility of completeness of a graphic medicine. Right. As, a, as a, like a, a, a long-term research collection of what is out there. In public libraries and in my past library where I had limited shelf space, limited budget, I was making like, I was evaluating based on accuracy, based on, you know, the interests of the population. Like at my past medical school, it was a public medical school. It was primarily serving lower income people. It was primarily serving, you know, there was a a lot of veteran population. So I was looking towards stories that would resonate with them and that seemed that that I would show, I would ask for input, you know, and if this was authentic enough to, to purchase kind of thing. And in a public library setting, that's what a lot of people I talk to are, are, are wrestling with as well. But my normal day to day, it's, is it health related? I'm buying it. We'll figure out the details once we have it on hand. I wanted to round out with uh, this question to, to have something kind of like, I don't know, somewhat action oriented. It's always, it's kind of hard to always, bring that into every episode, but you kind of touched on using graphic medicine in advocacy is, and you're buying like a lot of independent comics would, do you see things about that, that are like more advocacy focused, like Medicare for all queer healthcare, racism in healthcare. And is that something like public libraries are, are able to get in on, or is it kind of in the, your, your quest for completeness really is the only way you can purchase them all. Yeah. 
the the comics that immediately come to mind that are pushing that boundary are either web comics or self published, and so it's it's things that are going to be difficult for most public library collections to to easily make available. On the on the 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 medical racism side, I have to recommend checking out um, Wit Taylor's comics in the Nib, exploring a lot of the history of that. Wit is a a public uh, health professional by training and also a cartoonist, and and then on the 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 advocacy side, so the the Center for Cartoon Studies, it's available online now, but it, they're like doing a print run where people can request copies of it. So it's something a public library could do. They're printing them for free. They've created this comic about um, oh good lord, I'm gonna forget the name of it too. It's included in the most recent review on graphicmedicine.org, um, but it's uh, an exploration of the cost of healthcare in the United States, um, exploring how GoFundMe is like the primary driver of healthcare payments right now. They, for that purpose, created a GoFundMe for this comic to fund the distribution of it as a kind of a nudge. Um, but it was created as a collaboration between the Center for Cartoon Studies and students at Harvard um, in the Radcliffe Institute. And they're printing enough of them that they will send copies to every uh, staffer uh, in Washington. And then they're distributing it to libraries and educators and everyone who wants it. It's kind of a call to action to try to push for healthcare reform. And so that's a really interesting example of someone taking cartooning and using it to push for for change but there there aren't that many of those with that much funding and and clout behind them yeah that makes sense so if if there's not any like uh closing thoughts i wanted to ask if you have any plugs do you want people to know where they can find you anything uh your twitter your upcoming scholarship that you do for fun or do you want people to leave you alone i mean I would like to turn my email off for the rest of forever, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. The easiest way to find me, if you can tolerate long Twitter rants and and ramblings, is on Twitter. Um, I'm at KnowTheMat, and I spend my entire life on there, it seems like, most of the time. but yeah, I mean that's the that's the big project. Um, that I'm working on a, an upcoming article f- with some colleagues for the Journal of Graduate Medical Education about integrating graphic medicine into residency education. So that'll be coming late this year if people have an interest in that. But other than that, I'm just kind of plugging away and doing graphic medicine work. And I, I guess I should throw the plug in there that you, if you're still if, if you're in ALA and haven't completely disbanded and and want to burn them down. I'm the current president for the Graphic Novels Comics Roundtable, so you should come hang out with us and do cool comics things in ALA. Burn a bookmark, go hang out with Matt. Awesome. Well then, thanks for coming on, Matthew. Uh, Really appreciate it. This has been a really good episode, I think. Uh, Good night.